0: Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our eighth program on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the 133 talks given over five years by Pope John Paul II, September 1979 through November 1984. The Meaning of Original Unity, The Unity of the Two. The words of Genesis, It is not good that the man should be alone, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, are prelude, as it were, to the account of the creation of woman. Together with this account, the meaning of original solitude enters and becomes part of the meaning of original unity, the key point of which seems to be precisely the words of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 to which Christ appeals in his dialogue with the Pharisees. A man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. If Christ quotes these words when he appeals to the beginning, we should clarify the meaning of this original unity, which is rooted in the fact of the creation of man as male and female, The account of Genesis 1 does not mention the problem of man's original solitude. In fact, man is male and female from the beginning. The Yahwist text of Genesis chapter 2, by contrast, authorizes us in some way to think first only about man, inasmuch as, through the body, he belongs to the visible world while going beyond it. It then lets us think about the same man, but through the duality of sex. Bodiliness and sexuality are not simply identical. Although, in its normal constitution, the human body carries within itself the sign of sex and is by its nature male or female, the fact that man is a body belongs more deeply to the structure of the personal subject than the fact that in his somatic constitution he is also male or female. For this reason, the meaning of original solitude, which can be referred simply to man, is substantially prior to the meaning of original unity. The later is based on masculinity and femininity, which are, as it were, two different incarnations, That is, two ways in which the same human being created in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, is a body. Following the Yahwist text, in which the creation of woman is described separately, Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 and 22, we should have before our eyes at the same time that image of God of the first creation account, In its language and style, the second account keeps all the characteristics of the Yahwist text. The way of narrating fits with the way of thinking of the epoch to which the text belongs. Following contemporary philosophy of religion and of language, one can say that we are dealing with a mythical language. In this case, in fact, the term myth does not refer to fictitious, fabulous content, but simply to an archaic way of expressing a deeper content. Without any difficulty, we discover that content under the stratum of the ancient narrative, truly marvelous in the quality and condensation of the truths contained there. Let us add that the second account of the creation of man maintains to some degree the form of a dialogue between man and God, the Creator. And this is evident, above all, in the stage in which the man, Adam, is definitively created as male and female, Is Isha. Creation takes place, simultaneously, as it were, in two dimensions. The action of God, Yahweh, who creates, unfolds in correlation with the process of human consciousness. Thus, God, Yahweh, says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I want to make him a help similar to himself. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. And at the same time, the man confirms his own solitude. Genesis chapter 2 verse 20. Next we read, So the Lord God caused torpor, or state of unconsciousness, to fall upon the man who fell asleep when he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh again in its place. With the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he formed a woman, Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Considering the specificity of the language, one must first recognize that this Genesis torpor, in which, by the work of Yahweh God, the man is immersed in preparation for the new creative act, stimulates much thought against the background of contemporary mentality, which is accustomed by analysis of the subconscious to link sexual contents with the world of dreams. That torpor may evoke a particular association. The biblical account, however, seems to go beyond the dimension of the human subconscious. If one then supposes that a certain diversity of vocabulary is significant, one can conclude that man, Adam, falls into that torpor in order to wake up as male, Is, and female, Isha. In fact, it is here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, that we come across the distinction between Is and Isha for the first time. Perhaps, therefore, the analogy of sleep indicates here not so much a passage from consciousness to the subconscious, but a specific return to non-being. Sleep has within itself a component of the annihilation of man's conscious existence, or to the moment before creation, in order that the solitary man may, by God's creative initiative, re-emerge from that moment in his double unity as male and female. In any case, in the light of the context of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, there is no doubt that man falls into this torpor with the desire of finding a being similar to himself. If, by analogy with sleep, we can speak here also of dream, we must say that this biblical archetype allows us to suppose as the content of this dream a second eye. Which is also personal and equally related to the situation of original solitude, that is, to that whole process of establishing human identity in relation to all living beings, animalia, inasmuch as it is a process of man's. Differentiation from such surroundings. In this way, the circle of the human person's solitude is broken because the first man reawakens from his sleep as male and female. Dimensions of homogeneity. The woman is made with the rib that God, Yahweh, had taken from the man. Considering the archaic, metaphorical, and figurative way of expressing the thought, we can establish that what is meant is the homogeneity of the whole being of both. This homogeneity regards, above all, the body, the somatic structure, and it is also confirmed by the man's first words to the woman just created. This time she is flesh of my flesh, bone from my bones, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Nevertheless, the words quoted also referred to the humanity of the male human being. They should be read in the context of the statements made before the creation of the woman, in which, though the incarnation of man does not yet exist, she is defined as help similar to himself. See Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and 20. Thus the woman is created in a certain sense, based on the same humanity. Despite the diversity in constitution tied to the sexual difference, somatic homogeneity is so evident that the man on waking up from genetic sleep expresses it immediately when he says, This time she is flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones. She will be called woman because from man she has been taken. In this way, for the first time, The man, male, shows joy and even exultation, for which he had no reason before due to the lack of being similar to himself. Joy for the other human being, for the second eye, dominates in the words the man, male, speaks on seeing the woman, female. All this helps to establish the full meaning of original unity. The words here are few, but each has great weight. We must therefore take into account, and will do so later, the fact that the first woman formed with a rib taken from the man is immediately accepted as a help suited to him. To this same subject, that is, to the meaning of the original unity of the man and the woman in humanity, we will return in the next meditation with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his eighth catechesis on man and woman. He created them, a theology of the body. This passage of his seminal work is from chapter one of part one. Part one is on the words of Christ. Christ refers back to the beginning regarding holy marriage. Chapter one of part one, Christ appeals to the beginning. The third part of chapter 1, the meaning of original unity. The unity of the two, male and female, man and woman, husband and wife. The dimensions of homogeneity. Homo, man, genity, genesis, the beginning. How they're together. There is so much here in the thought of our Holy Father. It's important to remember that throughout the world there are schools dedicated to the study of this text to this corpus of knowledge, the John Paul II Institute for the Studies of Marriage and the Family, out of the Pontifical Lateran University in Rome, with campuses around the world. We join our friends who study this all around the world, study the meaning of things. This is a branch of philosophy, epistemology. How do we know what we know? The Holy Father refers to ways of thinking, He refers to the philosophy of religion and the philosophy of language and he speaks of myth and mythical language, not in the sense of fairy tale, but in the sense of an ancient way of thinking, speaking the truth, even if not in declarative sentences as we would have today. There are truths contained in the sacred text, in sacred scripture, in these opening words of Genesis. Male and female, he created them. In the divine image, he created them. He created them, and they were unlike any other beings on the face of the earth. That's the original solitude. And he created them for each other to be help to each other, the original unity. That's how it was in the beginning. It was the fall. It was sin which tainted this relationship, the one with the other, the man and the woman and both of them together with God. When the Holy Father repeatedly cites the Yahwist, it is because in certain passages of the Old Testament here, God is referred to that way. And so the critical biblical scholarship identifies a Yahwist part of the passage. Man is said to be a part of the visible world here, not only corporeal, not only bodily, but the body does express the person. He is a body among bodies. In a very key passage, the Holy Father reminds us that bodiliness and sexuality are not simply identical. Just because I am corporeal does not mean I am always acting out in a sexual way, although I am always who I am. I am a man. I was a young boy. I hope to be an old man someday. So, my sexuality, my gender is the same, and it is very much a part of my bodilyness. But the acting out is proper for holy marriage. Professor Waldstein provides an extensive note when it comes to that term which is so misused or misappropriated in our own day the word is sex. Translator's note John Paul II uses the word sex. Consistently to refer to the male sex and the female sex of the human person rather than to the act of sexual intercourse. It's a big distinction. It's an important thing to remember. The Holy Father speaks to us about human consciousness and how when we fall to sleep and we've lost consciousness thereby, it brings us, in a certain sense, to the cusp of non-being. Since when we die, it looks like we're sleeping. There in the coffin, there in the grave. The Holy Father speaks about the analogy of sleep. There are some who spurn analogous thinking, but it can be very helpful remembering that all the while, while there are similarities between that which is part of the analogy, the difference is what is key. So while we have the analogy of sleep, Adam did not die that time in the garden. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he did die, the sleep of death, upon the cross and from his side. Mother Church was born, blood and water flowed, and Christ our Lord found a helpmate suitable to himself. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, and the two became one. The Holy Father refers again in this passage of his eighth catechesis on the theology of the body, To the first and second creation accounts complementary texts there in Genesis in the one both are created from the get-go together in the other Eve created from the side of Adam they have the same human nature either way and this is what is key because key to the human nature is being in the image of God God who is all good God who is holy God who is able to know and to love And not only is God able to know and to love, God knows all, and God is love. And he calls us to know what we can, to use the gray matter between our ears, and to use our hearts, to use our wills, at the service of our neighbor, male and female, young and old. We are not trying to return to the garden. We have a better garden, thanks to the one, not Eden, but the one of Olives, where there was an agony before a saving passion and a glorious resurrection. We are able to live graced lives, blessed lives, because of that one who was born of Mary, born of woman, born under the law to save us from the works of death, to give us the grace we need to keep the holy law given to Moses on Sinai's height. Our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, shows his philological background yet again by speaking about the definitions of man here. What is the meaning? While the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, reminds us that we are made in the image of God, he does so with his own personal background, having studied linguistics, philology, the origin of words, terms, but also having studied philosophy. So he reminds us of the principle of non-contradiction. Something cannot both be and not be at the same time in the same sense at this, of the same subject. And so he speaks to us of being in the image of God. The image of God is a body, even though God only assumed a body in the Incarnation. The Holy Father trains us by his catechesis on man and woman he created them a theology of the body he's training our ways of thinking he does so knowing that there is a corpus of thought the philosophy of religion homo religio man is a religious being what can we know naturally about religious practice religio according to a law the law of god revealed religion natural religion worship of God sacred texts ritual the Holy Father Pope John Paul II is likewise aware of the philosophy of language ordinary language technical language here he speaks about mythical language not as if the text the sacred text of Genesis are a fairy tale no they contain truths and they teach us the truth about ourselves even if using archaic formulations. We're reminded of our human consciousness. Pope John Paul II makes great straw between consciousness and unconsciousness, between our conscious existence and the analysis of the subconscious. This is part of what it means to be a human being, in part, the ability to know, to understand, to reason. This is part of our human identity. This is why Pope John Paul II spent so many years of his papal ministry, from 1979 to 1984, five years, giving these 129 talks with four others added to it, for a total of 133 talks. The Pope recognizes a contemporary mentality, not only that of our own contemporaries, but those of the inspired author of the sacred text of Genesis. So it's important when we think about the meaning of our existence, what it means to be a human being, to be a man or a woman, created in the image of God by the eternal God, a communion of persons, that we understand where we're coming from and where we've been, where we came from unconsciousness is not just to be asleep or not just to be in a coma but even if I'm not asleep or not in a coma but I'm not aware of my surroundings aware of what is going on around me aware of what you are saying or what I am saying what I am hearing what you are hearing then I am unconscious as well so We remember the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot both be and not be in the same sense at the same time of the same subject. So, unconscious, conscious, used in the same way, in different ways, in different settings. We are in the image of God, but we are not God. We are made by God, for God, but we have value and worth in our being, thanks to God. This is why Pope John Paul II recognizes that the sacred text of Genesis stimulates much thought. The Pope makes reference to being and non-being, existence and non-existence. key, it seems, in the mind of John Paul II was that the solitary man, Adam, by God's creative act re-emerges from that moment of sleep in his double unity as male and female very important in that story of creation not where both were created at the same moment male and female he created them but when eve was created from the rib taken from adam's side during a deep sleep topor this is when in that story of the creation original solitude was over in a sense Although even then, that original couple, Adam and Eve, still unlike any other being on the face of the earth, personal being, individual substances of a rational nature. The Holy Father hasn't gone there yet in this catechesis on the theology of the body, man and woman, he created them. But in his other writings, he did go there, and we will see how far he goes in these meditations. When Adam recognizes in Eve a second I, he recognizes her personality, that she too is a person like himself, a subject. Objectively speaking, she is a subject. Not that Adam objectified her, that's a consequence of the fall in truth. Objectively so, Eve, another I, another human being one with a human identity no less than his own. Sure, the sacred scripture uses archaic or metaphorical or figurative language, ways of expressing thought, truths. But just because it's archaic, old-fashioned, metaphorical, not clinical, uh, figurative, is not to say it does not convey truth. And that's where some of our friends who are so devoted to the historical critical apparatus of reading sacred scripture miss the point. When Pope John Paul II wrote and spoke that the woman is created in a certain sense based on the same humanity as that of Adam, this could be greatly misunderstood by so many. How important for us to remember that these words come from the same mind, uh, the same pen of the one who wrote Mulieris Dignitatem, on the dignity and vocation of women. Of course, the woman is a human being. Of course, the man is a human being. Even the unborn child, a human being. Human dignity, human personhood comes from God. God who is a trinity of persons. Woman created in a certain sense, remember the law of non contradiction, something cannot both be and not be in the same sense at the same time of the same subject, in a certain sense based on the same humanity, based on the same humanity because the rib was taken from Adam, based on the same humanity because both taken from the dust of the earth, and the breath of life breathed into the nostrils by the Lord and the giver of life who is. God does this not stimulate much thought in you does this call into question certain mentalities of our contemporary day and age which denies the humanity of the unborn child or denies dignity of those who are weak in body or in mind those whose consciousness might not be up to par how important for us to recognize That as human beings, we are living beings as are the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the beast of the field. But our human identity is not just that we're bipeds walking upright on two feet. Our human identity primarily comes from being made to the image of God. Our existence has meaning. Our being male and female has meaning that we are visibly body and soul has meaning in this visible world. Our soul is not visible per se, but by its effects, by its effects that I can breathe power of the soul, that I can assume nurture, power of the soul, that I can know and love powers of the rational human soul in me. This is the correct way of thinking. This is a way of thinking in accord with the truth of revelation. This is the way of thinking in conformity with the truths contained in the inspired Word of God. Pope John Paul II, in his catechesis on the theology of the body, Man and Woman He Created Them, points out all these things, and he gives reasons for their being, not only sacred scripture, not only supernatural faith and revelation, but even the natural powers of his human understanding. This concludes our eighth reflection on the catechesis of Pope John Paul II, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. In our next program, we'll begin going continuing still on the dimensions of homogeneity and then the communion of persons, flesh from my flesh, the unity of becoming one flesh. Hopefully these reflections, both directly from the pen, from the heart, from the mind of John Paul II, and our reflection on them here in Tennessee can help You deepen your faith and love in God, the Father Almighty, who has created us visibly and invisibly, visibly in our body and invisibly in our soul. This is as it was in the beginning, and we look forward to life on high with Christ and all his saints in his mercy. Until next time, God bless you.